Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hi, I'm Shirley Digert. I'm a mail carrier, rural mail carrier in Girlsbeck, Texas. I am not the kind of person that would naturally be drawn to skydiving. I'm not one to take chances like that. I'm David Hartsock. I think uh, for myself, it's kind of like therapy almost because when you're skydiving, you can't be thinking about, did I leave the oven on? Oh my gosh, I got that paperwork that I got to do for work. My older son had gone skydiving on his 30th birthday. So when my younger son, two years later, decided to celebrate his 30th birthday the same way, he invited me along. At that time, I just looked over at my husband, and he's like very wide-eyed, looking at me. Hmm, you're really going to do this? I says, oh my gosh, yeah, let's do it. It was obvious she was nervous about it. So I tried to make it as lighthearted as possible. He just come walking straight up to me, looking right in my eye, and stuck his hand out there and introduced himself. One of the things I always tell my students to try to calm their nerves is that we're connected up there. There's no way the person's going to get away from me. So I told her that you can be sure that nothing's going to happen to you because I'm going to make sure nothing happens to me. And so we go taxiing off. We're like above the clouds. We're way up there. It looked like I was going to be doing this. (laughs) Yeah. We got to the door. I crossed her hands in front of her, tilted her head back against my shoulder, and rocked forward back in the plane, and out we go. One, One, two, two, three. three. And we bailed out of the plane. We did a free fall for a while. You didn't feel like you were really falling. You felt like you were in a, a wind tunnel almost or something like that. It's just very windy. And it was beautiful. I couldn't hardly wait till the parachute would open and then I could just really get a good view of everything. I deployed the primary parachute. Then you're expecting to go into a nice smooth glide and instead we got hit like a brick wall. The canopy was flapping very hard because half of it had not inflated. We were going around so fast and so hard we were like laying out flat. We were going around like that. I, it, it was just made me very dizzy. I realized, well, I've got to cut this canopy away so it'll get away from us, and then I can deploy the reserve parachute. But the way the parachute had so violently opened, it had jerked the harness that she was in and the harness I was in, and the handle that should have been right accessible on the right side of my body had folded underneath the harness I was wearing. And I could hear him grunting and 
trying hard. You could just hear him trying hard to reach something. And so that's when she asked me if everything was okay. And I was honest with her and told her, no, it was not okay. That we had a serious problem. And it's like the world stopped. And all I could think about was my husband not really wanting me to go. And why did I push for this? What is happening? I can't believe this might happen. I realized that we were in a very, very serious situation. And it was probably not going to end well. I thought about my mom. I had just lost my mom not too long before that. And I thought about seeing my mom again. and knew I was going to. And then when I thought about my mom, I thought about my kids. My kids and my grandkids, three grandchildren, and my husband and my other son were on the ground watching this. And I just said, God, I didn't want them to have to see this. I just knew this was my moment, that this was my last day on earth. Knowing that her two sons and her husband could see their mother and wife spinning into the ground thinking, oh my God, she's going to be dead. And I wasn't going to let that happen no matter what. At that point, you know, we were probably down to 3,000 feet and I went ahead and deployed the reserve parachute. But unfortunately, all it did was get tangled up into the main parachute. I was looking down at the ground to see where we were headed. It's a pretty much a farm area, so there's houses, barns, barbed wire fences, all kinds of things you can hit that it's going to kill you. I had a brief thought about, well, this is my fate. Oh, well, you know, the primary thing now is to make sure that at least one of us survives, and that one person that needs to survive is the student. And I figured what I would do is swing my body underneath hers so that that way she would land on me. The last three seconds, just as we were spinning in, I told her to raise her legs. He said, get ready for a rough landing, Shirley. I was laying right smack on top of David. He was on his back on the ground. I was right on top of him. And I could hear him trying to breathe, like let out a hard breath. All I could think about is, oh my gosh, we got to help him get up. I, I didn't think about all that could be wrong with him. I just wanted him to get up. When I woke up in the hospital, I think the first time that I can actually remember waking up, my mom was right there by my bedside, and because of the collapsed lungs, they had to put a trachea they had to do a tracheotomy, so I had a trach in my throat, so I couldn't speak. I couldn't move any of my limbs, but my mom was there, and she told me I was a quadriplegic. Yeah, I'd broken my the bone in my neck, and that I was paralyzed from the chest down. I was thinking, well, that ain't so bad, you know, I'm still alive, which, you know, surprised the hell out of me. So I went into the intensive care unit, 
and I talked with him. He couldn't talk. He had a deal in his mouth that he couldn't really talk, but his eyes told me everything. When he saw the neck brace on me, he tears just ran down his cheeks. He felt so bad that I had been hurt. I could not believe it that he could be so caring about everybody, and he was hurting so bad. But I hugged him at that time, and I kissed him on the side of his forehead, and I told him that I loved him. You know, I've always been the kind of person that kind of looked out for someone else, too. But this was so above and beyond anything you can imagine. Goodness, what could have gone through his head when we were going down, and he knew what was going to happen, and he was just trying to make sure that I got out of this okay. You know, he was going to take the whole brunt of it. I mean, for me, (laughs) for me, I mean, little old me. Ever since this happened, there has not been one day that I have not thought about him. Kind World is produced by WBUR Boston. If a kind act, large or small, has affected your life in a profound way, we want to hear about it. Share your story by visiting wbur.org slash kindworld.